2: You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there.
3: Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You gotta make some phone calls? Hang up the phone! Prank caller! Prank caller! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Packernet After Dark. It is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. The phone number to call in is 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line, and once again, we have no new callers. Come on, people. it has got to be another angry uh, person out there that wants to scream about something. We haven't had a good scream in a while, you know? Nate gives us an F-bomb once in a while, but, you know, I don't know. Mix it up a little bit. Uh, we're going to start off with Garrett. What's going on,
4: my man? Good hey, morning, Ryan. Hey. i uh, just taking a walk after school bowl uh, and enjoying the victory of watching the teams that I rooted for win. There
1: you go. And
4: I'm just perplexed at how up until the last few minutes that game was a nail-biter. Uh, it was really exciting. Um, the one thing I took away from it that uh, just makes me think about how the Packers are going to have to go ahead through next year planning stuff out is that Philly scored the most points in NFL history for a Super Bowl and lose the the points that they scored was the most by any team to lose a Super Bowl or a championship. So it just leads me to believe that we are really going to have to uh, really improve both sides of our ball. I think offense and defense. I, I just uh, I'm really uh, happy for Mahomes and those guys, but uh, looking forward to next year and how the draft is going to play out, but. Uh, I think flip of the coin would uh, be my best guess on how Goody's going to draft because it could be a yeah. lot of more on defense, which I can understand why he would. Right. Or really load up on offense, but I just think this draft class I would have to agree is is pretty weak. So I hope they hit on the guys that they do pick. Have a happy Monday.
3: Yeah. So a couple things. First thing that comes to mind. And I didn't know that stat, but. You know, there's always this talk about the the collapse for the Packers and all this frustration and all this. Look what the Philadelphia Eagles just went through. They had probably one of the best, if not the best, defenses in the entire NFL. They get to the Super Bowl. Their offense scores, as you pointed out, the most points, obviously by a losing team because they lost. Um, and so it was their defense that was a major letdown. And you could say, well, it's the Chiefs' offense. okay. Do I really have to go look up the scores of the Chiefs and show scores that were lower? Do I have to do that? I shouldn't have to do that. We should be able to figure this out for ourselves. 38 points is the most they've scored since their bye week, which was in week eight. So for the, let's just say number one, for a top three defense, to allow the Chiefs to score more points... Then they've scored since week uh, seven, fourth highest score they had all season is a major failure of one of their strengths, which just, again, goes to show that it's just kind of a crapshoot. There is no way to build a perfect team that's guaranteed to win, right? If you would have said that the Philadelphia Eagles are just going to score 35 points in this game, you would have said it's game over. Because there's no way this Eagles defense is going to allow more points than that. And they did. This is just how it goes. Collapses. Things that shouldn't happen that did. The the Chiefs scored 23 points against the Bengals. 23. By the way, you want to talk about a team that's won by a lot of one-score games. You know, it's it's actually interesting. Um, Just dawned on me now. But... I was talking about how the Chiefs seem to be in a bit of a decline, right? Not a massive decline, but they kind of had their peak, and now they seem to be declining. And then this year rolled around, and it's like, dang, look at this team. They're they're right back on top, right? And fair enough. But you look at how many games they won by one score. I mean, they're a 14-win team, and there's a lot of games that could have gone the other way. Chargers, they beat by three. The Raiders, they beat by one. By the way, they started the season four and two. You flip those two games in their 2-4 and, they're two and four to start the season. They beat Tennessee in overtime by 3. They beat Jacksonville, the Jaguars. Oh wait, no, that's 10, sorry. Can't do that in one score. The Chargers the next week, they won by 3. The Broncos game. The freaking Broncos was a one-score game. The Texans the next week was a one-score game they won in overtime. The Texans took them to overtime. The Broncos again one-score game. How the heck is that even possible? Then the Jaguars, they won by seven, the Bengals, they won by three, and the Eagles, they won by three. They won all three of those playoff postseason games by the skin of their teeth. So, I mean, they deserve a lot of credit. They still had the number one offense in football. You have to be able to win those one-score games, obviously, but that clearly points to me to some very obvious regression potential. And there were some one-score games that they lost, but again, how in the world? The, the quality of these teams. They're terrible football teams. The Chargers, the Raiders, the Titans, the Chargers again, the Broncos twice, the Texans. That's kind of crazy to me. You could probably do that to a lot of teams, to be fair. But it's just, it's a little bit surprising to see that and to know how close those games could have been. Anyways, what, what the heck were we talking about here? There was two points I wanted to make. Oh, the, the first was, again, how just unpredictable the postseason is, and you can't really count on this, that, or the other thing. And then as far as the draft class being weak, I think the important part about a weak draft class, or re- really any draft class, but it's to lean on the strength of the class. And I think that's probably going to be more emphasized in a year where it's a weak class. If it's a strong class, you've got a lot of options. In a weak class, you don't. And so you look at where is the strength, and I think that's where you look for, especially teams like the Packers, because I think that's something that they like to do. There are, like I've always said, that they're drafting for need and drafting best player available is a spectrum, and nobody's at 100% of either side, but there's kind of a a scale. So, and, and this is the only example I know, so it's the only example I use, but many years ago, the Falcons GM, who I don't even think is the Falcons GM anymore, maybe he is, I don't know, uh, Blitnikoff or whatever his name is, <laughs> Um, he said that yeah we draft for need. It's what we do. Now, clearly it's not 100%. there There's some level of like, we need to find guys that are a good value here, but we're going to lean, maybe we'll reach a little bit because we need this, that, or the other, where the Packers are a little bit closer to the other side of the spectrum. And because the Packers are a little bit more on the other side of the spectrum of best player available, I think you're going to find them Hitting on more of these positions that tend to be strengths. And I think you see a pattern of that over the years where you look at it and say, what is the strength of this class? You know, when Rashawn Gary was drafted, there's no question Edge was the strength of that class. You had Bosa. You had um, uh, the, the number one player was Bosa. The number three was Josh Allen. Uh, then you had number nine, uh, supposedly, was Montez Sweat. You had Brian Burns. You had Rashawn Gary. You had Cleland Furl. Edge was, was a massive. And then and then you also had just a defensive line in general, right? You had Ed Oliver. You had Quinn and Williams. You had uh, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, it was a stacked defensive line class. And what did we get out of that? Rashawn Gary. 2020, you could argue it wasn't a strong quarterback class, but I would disagree with that assessment based on what we've seen. Joe Burrow, 2-0, 2-0. 2 Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, I mean, we've seen the strength of these guys. We came away with Jordan Love. The year we got Stokes, it was a loaded cornerback class. Patrick Sertan and J.C. Horn were considered top 10 prospects, which is crazy for corners. Then you have Caleb Fairley, Greg Newsome, Asante Samuel, Afedi Melfanu, Tyson Campbell, Elijah Molden, Eric Stokes. Loaded cornerback class. We come away with Eric Stokes. Last year, you know, he um, had two but you know three basically first round prospect linebackers you also got to factor in who's left right what is the strength remaining in the class but you know you got Devin Lloyd N'Kobe Dean and Quay Walker not necessarily a stacked defensive line class but again I think if you look at the talent that was available they felt that that was the best available but generally you're going to find the Packers taking where the class is deepest Or at the very least, it's going to give you a clear picture of what the Packers are probably going to have available for them if you look at where the strength of the class is. So you look at 2023 and you say, where's the strength of the class? You could potentially look at quarterback, considering there's four. We know running back is kind of strong, but not necessarily deep. Oh, I I shouldn't put it that way because it is deep. But, you know, as far as first round prospects, there's two. I think wide receiver is a potential, especially considering, yeah, there's no top 10, but we're not drafting top 10. But you look at Johnson, Addison, Njigba, Hyatt, Flowers, Downs, uh, Boutte, Rice, tight end is is deeper than usual, especially at the top end. Mayor, Kincaid, Washington, Musgrave, not really defensive line or interior offensive line. Edge, I think, again, kind of makes sense. Will Anderson, Miles Murphy, Tyree Wilson, Lucas Van Ness, Nolan Smith, Isaiah Foskey, B.J. Ojolari, corner again, Gonzalez, Witherspoon, Porter, Smith, Ringo, Phillips, Forbes, Banks. So, I mean, it, it's, it's more in some areas than others, right? It's, it's not really strong defensive line, interior. Safety is really not deep at all. Some of them are kind of iffy, running back, tackle, tight end. But if you look at where a lot of there, there's a lot of depth in those positions early, and then depth throughout the draft class. Where is it stronger? Like running back, you, you would assume at some point, whether that be first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, the Packers are going to hit, and probably these are the areas you're going to see multiple hits, right? Tight end and running back. It's a good year to to take multiple swings. Now the Packers don't really need multiple swings at running back, but tight end would make sense.
4: Ryan, I wanted to ask you a hypothetical regarding. Uh, next season's quarterback situation. Um, if we move on from Rodgers and we trade him and we know that love is going to be the starting quarterback, uh, that does leave an obvious, uh, backup role, uh, empty. And I was just wondering, uh, who or if you think they would even draft, uh, a quarterback to develop or would they maybe sign another free agent that's uh, floating around out there to be a veteran? Backup. up. Hainer is my answer. It'll always be my answer. uh, Because after watching the Super Bowl, you know, for a moment there, everybody was speculating whether Chad Henning was going to come in, and it just always, you know, reminds us that, you know, your quarterback is just one play away from even in the biggest game of not being able to finish a game. So who would we have uh, or who would we choose to back up love? Would we draft someone or would we sign a free agent? And I'm, I'm just thinking back and I'm going to uh, interject, uh, the success that Green Bay has had in the past. Um, some of their notable backups that they have scouted and drafted, um, and developed has been, uh, Mark Brunel, who went on to play, uh, had a really good career with Jacksonville, Kurt Warner, who we all know, you know, won a Super Bowl with the Rams, um, We also had Aaron Brooks, who then went on to play for New Orleans for a while. Um, Then, you know, there's the guy, I don't know how we ever let him go, but Taysom Hill, who ended up being a legitimately kind of like a hybrid, you know, kind of quarterback for uh, behind Drew Brees. Um, I'm trying to, oh, Matt Hasselbeck, who went on to play for Seattle. Um, So there's just a few guys just in that group that have all went on to play and and start for another team so I'm confident that they have the ability to recognize talent and develop talent if for anything else just to be a quality backup or to trade later on Um, but I was just wondering and curious if you thought it would be better this time around to maybe not draft someone in this draft because it seemed kind of weak um, and just maybe sign maybe a free agent quarterback that might be out there that's available. So, curious what you think
3: on that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of two different things, I guess. As far as our situation now with Jordan Love being relatively inexperienced, I think a veteran would make sense as a backup to be somewhat of a mentor. Um, but as far as your other point, as far as the Packers' ability to develop, I mean, obviously we have a completely different group of guys here as far as GMs and coaches and everything else. But we've got a, a GM that was trained up in the same system under the same guys, and um, I do think we have some untapped potential with our head coach who's come up through the ranks as a quarterback's guy. That's his whole thing. He's a quarterback coach, um, former quarterback, not NFL, but you know, whatever. And um, yeah, I, I think maybe there is some potential there for taking some swings a little bit more often. It doesn't, have, I mean, obviously not early or even mid, but you can go, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round. Um, obviously, we pick up some undrafted free agents occasionally because that's just what you do. But um, yeah, I mean, see what you can do as far as development goes. They always talk about how it's the most important position in football, and obviously there's very low probability that any late-round guys are going to be good football players, but we're starting to see a little bit more of that these days, especially with the evolution of the NFL. So um, if you find some guys that have that little bit of potential, whether that be their athleticism or their arm talent or whatever it is, pick them up and see what you can do with them over a couple years, and if it doesn't work out, who cares? It's a thought, I guess. Um, But yeah, I, I think... Although I, you know, I like Hayner. He's supposed to be like a late round guy, and again, on my sheet that I created, he is my number one quarterback. Even factoring in where he's ranked and factoring in his school that he went to, he's still by far the best quarterback. So, probably speaks more to the flaws in my sheet, which I'm, um is somewhat on pause, but is is more being worked on on the side as far as um, trying to figure out ways to improve it. Which I'm going way down. A rabbit hole that I just shouldn't. I should just continue the, the thing. But I don't know. I, I can't help it, man. It's it's either going to be a perfected process or it's going to be nothing. If you're curious where I'm at right now, I'm, I'm just dove headfirst into machine learning. So <laughs> this is like, a, you know, take years to learn how to do all this, but it doesn't matter. It's what I want to do. So it's what I'm going to do. It's the way it goes. By the way, if any of you guys are into that Python machine learning type stuff, you know those are kind of two different things, sometimes not. But um, hit me up. Might have questions. Might not. Google's fine. Google seems to have all the answers. It's just my ability to comprehend it that's that's slowing us down. Anyways, that would be my thought if, if Aaron Rodgers does move on to get a veteran backup.
2: Hey, Ryan. It's Seth. Um, i got a question for you. Would you, I think I have three options, rather have Aaron Rodgers come back and – you know, try to add a few pieces, make a run at it. Number two, get rid of Aaron Rodgers and maybe a couple of our veteran guys, such as, I don't know, Aaron Jones, you know, David Bak- Bakhtiari, and maybe you pick up, you know, Bijan in the draft. So maybe it's just, you know, would you rather have Jordan Love and Bijan or Jordan Love and Aaron Jones? And then, then that would be option three. Let Rodgers go, uh, keep all of our veterans' core guys and see if we can't make a run with Love next year. I'm curious what your uh, thoughts are on that. All right,
3: talk to you later. Yeah, so those those are three different interesting options and they all do make sense. I mean, my first thought was if you want to make a run, you stick with Rodgers, but that isn't necessarily true because we can't keep Rodgers based on the way his contract is. Um the it it's just it's it's not going to work. Um, if he was planning on staying in the NFL, it could potentially work, but the fact that he w- could retire at any moment makes it a ticking time bomb, right? While well, you could restructure his contract. No, you can't because as soon as he retires, it doesn't matter how you spread the money out. The bill comes due. So unless he just says, you know what, I'm, i I want to cut all this money out of my contract. The money is all due. Do- in fact, I don't even think that's going to work because a lot of the problem is money that's already been paid. So I don't know. Can he refund the money that he was paid? I don't know. Um, So it's not necessarily true that if you want to make a run, just stick with Rodgers. I think we have to move on from Rodgers. I don't know if we're going to, and maybe I'm wrong about the contract. We'll see how it all plays out. But I haven't heard anybody propose a theory as to how he could play this year, retire next year, and it's not a ticking time bomb. As soon as somebody can provide me with some information on that, I'd love to hear it. Until then, it is my understanding that we are screwed and screwed beyond screwed, if Rodgers plays this year and retires next year. Um, So that to me is just a a non-starter. Now the question is, do we continue on this path, see what Jordan Love can do? Because here's a thought. What if it actually works really well with Jordan Love? What if we actually do have a pretty solid thing here? And yeah, we do draft, whether it be Bijan or Mayer or some weapons or whatever, and the offense is actually clicking quite well. And is like looking like they're a, a playoff caliber team, but we ended up cutting Aaron Jones and David Bakhtiari, thinking that this was a long-term rebuild, and lo and behold, we're actually ready to go. And this defense is like a top three defense, and um, you know, we're, we're, we don't have a left tackle because Bakhtiari's gone or whatever. So I think what would make probably the most sense would be, and, and you don't want to be irresponsible. In terms of, you know, if somebody has to be cut or, or, you know, restructured like Aaron Jones, you have to do something with that. Bakhtiari, you probably have to do something with that. If you can't do it in somewhat of a responsible manner that isn't going to hurt us down the road, then maybe we have to figure something out. Um, but they're both kind of guys that you could imagine playing for a little bit of a while yet. So I feel like there's a little bit of flexibility there. I don't know. Let's try to run it this year and just see how it looks. So that we can reevaluate it because I want to know what this is because we we do have the pieces to make a run if everything could kind of fall in place we do have wide receiver weapons we potentially could add tight end weapons we have the makings of a really good offensive line with a couple question marks mixed in um Jordan Love potentially could be a very good player we have really good running backs we have Kenny, if he could figure out how to play again, and we have Devontae Wyatt, who potentially could take off, and we have eventually Rashawn, and Preston has shown a lot of things, and he's, I believe, still got his incentive-based contract, so if he, you know, decides he wants a lot of money, he could get it. We have Jair, presumably we'll get Stokes back, you know, we got some questions at safety, but there's every reason to believe that this is a team that could make a pretty hefty push if things fall the right way. And you don't want to cut yourself off at the knees and then find out that yes, we do have a top three defense, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, again, I I you would need to kind of figure this out in terms of if things don't work out, are we now stuck with Bakhtiari and and Aaron Jones. In other words, we we recognize that this isn't working, we gotta tear it down. Joe Barry's gotta get fired. We need to retool this defense, the offense needs to be built up and um one of the most obvious pieces is that Aaron Jones and David Bakhtiari have to go, but now they can't because of what we did to the contract last year. Does that make sense? In 2024, we don't want 2023 to hamstring us. And that's why I said, if we can redo their contracts so that we're not stuck with them down the road, if and when we decide, okay, we need to tear down and rebuild, because obviously they're not a part of a long-term future. If you're talking about how are we best in the next three to five years, those two guys have nothing to do with that conversation. So... If we can do that and then potentially get out next year, let's do it. If we can't get out next year, then I don't know. Maybe we just run, in other words, don't restructure it, run it as it is so that we can keep them, and then we can possibly release them next year, which is going to hurt this year, but so be it. I think that's probably the best way to go about it. If it was up to me... um well, I don't need to repeat myself for those reasons. I think that would be my choice. I haven't really thought about it before, so I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, we need to move Aaron Rodgers and try to keep the guys we have, which is going to hamstring us a little bit, but just to see what it looks like. I just want to know what we've got, and then we can make decisions from there. But I don't want to make any rash decisions about whether we're tearing it down or running it back until I can see what this offense looks like under Jordan Love or you know whether we need a new quarterback or whatever.
1: Hey, Ryan, wanted to call in with some uh, Super Bowl thoughts. Um, So I don't know if you'd like the halftime show at all. I thought it was okay. Um, But again, we keep having these Super Bowls where they don't seem to get what people love about the Super Bowl halftime show. And that's not just having... Like one big name artist just perform a concert. Like if if I want to go see a Rihanna concert, I'll go buy a ticket to a fucking Rihanna concert. Right. Which I would not ever do. But that's not the point. And the point is there's supposed to be one big name artist, and then throughout there they sing a couple songs. And then what happens? You're supposed to have those like those surprise artists.
3: Dude, when they when that guitar started coming in. That was like Santana, you know, bam, 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 bam. I'm like, dude, Santana, where is he? I'm looking around and yeah, me, my wife and I said the same thing. Like, where are all the like surprise guests and stuff? I thought for sure Santana was going to pop up and that, that would have taken it over the top for me, even if it was just Santana. Cause I didn't mind the music. Not like I, I was a huge, but Rihanna was kind of big back in the day, like high school for me a long time ago so some of the songs are in my mind kind of throwback even though I think she's got some popular ones even today I I honestly have no idea then my wife told me she was a billionaire and I was like are you freaking serious I had no idea like I thought she was I don't want to say b-list but you know I don't know I I was surprised by that but yeah I mean the, the the songs were fine the performance was stupid uh, I don't know what it is with these choreographers. They're like, what is the dumbest crap that we can do? Like, over the top is the goal, and so we just do stupid stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, I I guess the platforms were fine. There's nothing really wrong with floating around and all that kind of stuff. Kind of freaked me out. Like, dude, if she trips, she's gonna break her neck, and that would be crazy. Um, I didn't. I don't think she was like tied down. She. Walked around and everything else. but um, Anyway, so that was weird. But, but yeah, what, why do we have... And the dancers look stupid. The, the dance choreography was stupid. Like, it didn't make any sense. They're just flailing around. It's one of those things where it's, it's one thing to be able to do things that other people can't do. It's another thing for it to be interesting. Right? Like, when, when people play that, like, death metal or whatever kind of music where they just play guitar really fast. Granted, I can't do that. But it doesn't sound good. You know, be, being talented doesn't... So that was the same with the dancing. Like, yeah, you're doing stuff that most people can't do, but you look like an idiot. And then you got, like, the Michelin men coming out flailing around, or that, what, my, what did my wife call it? It was uh, uh, Hero 6, the Marshmallow Hero 6-looking robots coming out, looking all Oompa Loompa. Like, what, what does this add to anything? Why is this happening? They look stupid. And then Rihanna's, like, grabbing herself for some random reason. So it's like, we, we sent our kids out of the room because my wife's like, I don't know what they're about to do. And we're like, oh, this isn't too bad. And then she starts grabbing herself. And I'm like, well, I guess it's a good thing the kids weren't in here because that's completely, not only is it random and unnecessary, but it's uh, kind of gross and weird and creepy. So, yeah, I mean, it's the the music is fine. Some of it was decent enough. Like, the I guess, again, the platform thing was not really needed, but it was a neat effect but it was just it was so over the top and not in a way that was enjoyable it's like Jim Carrey to me you know like he's just kind of an idiot and when I was like seven years old it was funny but as an adult looking at Jim Carrey, who is an adult like making faces and being this ridiculous like you are over the top in a way that is so far from funny it's ridiculous like I'm sure you're great with kids but this is not entertaining at all like you are you need to be on freaking Ritalin or heroin or something to bring you way down. I don't know, but just calm down, dude. So, I mean, as far as Super Bowl halftime shows go, it was middle of the pack, I suppose. There's been significantly worse halftime shows that are way more over the top and unnecessary and stupid with way worse music and way worse dancing. But yeah, I think these people need to, uh, I don't know. I don't know how these like best choreographers in the world are like. Oh, I've I've got something real over the top here. It's like no, I don't want over the top, dude. I don't even understand the significance of the dancers necessarily. I mean, I guess you got to do something, but is this the best we can come up with? Like, let's get a hundred people that flail flail around looking stupid, and let's put them in Oompa Loompa uh, Hero Six outfits and have them like trot in and like. Wh- did anybody listen to this and go wait 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 why? no no, no I get it, but why are we doing this? I don't, I don't, what, why? What, what What are we trying to add to this? You know what I mean? It's just, it, I feel like everything, I'm going off on a thing here, but everything that is like in the world of like the uber rich is stupid. This is why I watch like Gordon Ramsay and all these cooking shows. And I'm like, you guys just ruin all your food. Why do you do, why do you do that? Like there's, you probably cook that piece of meat to perfection because you are one of the greatest chefs in the world. And then you freaking ruin it by putting garbage on it. Like, can you just get me some French fries or something to go with it? Like, this is gr- Like, why are you putting capers on a freaking and like arugula mash with caper sauce and, and black pea truffle or something? Like, this, is, this is disgusting. But it's all about like being, you know, you can't just do what everybody does because then you're not special. So you have to do like crazy stuff. And then you get praised for, like, thinking outside the box and doing these imaginative things. The problem is it doesn't freaking taste good. And then the, the, like, normal middle America human beings just want things that taste good. Like, just give me a show that's enjoyable to watch. Like, well, that's boring. It's got to be, like, extra and above and wild and crazy. No, 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 no. I want it to be enjoyable like the national anthem when people are like making all these weird noises and elongating everything. It's like, no, no, no. Listen, I don't need you to impress me with how weird you are. I just want it to be an enjoyable experience. I want the food to be enjoyable. I want art to be enjoyable. I remember going to an art museum and they had, sometimes you'd walk in and I remember I would look at paintings and I would swear it was a photograph. I would get my face as close as I could before that security guard punched me in the ear. And I'd look at it and I'd be like, I cannot find a brush stroke. I, it's, this is, and I was just in awe. And nobody gave a crap about these paintings. The ones that were like in the middle of the gallery, I'll never forget that. It was like a red and a blue square. It's in an art museum. It's a red and a blue square. The word Jew was on a, on a, a, a thing. Just the word Jew. What, what are we doing? Oh, you just don't understand. No, I I fully understand. You're an idiot. This is stupid. Well, stop trying to, like... I don't know. Everything is an appeal to these people who just are doing performance art, where we all pretend to be elevated, and we're going to eat stuff that tastes like garbage, but because it's at a five-star... Oh, this was exquisite. It was elegant. Oh, dude, that's gross. You ever seen Gordon Ramsay make a burger? Ugh. Bean sprouts, bro? You're putting bean sprouts on my burger? And the bun, the bun is always so big and hard. Nobody wants a big, hard bun on a burger. The bun is just a holder. It should be soft. If any th- flavors on it, it's like a garlic butter or something. With a slight crunch, maybe, where the, the you know, it touches the burger so it doesn't soak up all the liquid or whatever. You I mean, there's things you can do, but what are you doing? How do you mess up a burger? You idiot. But it's because it has to be so outside the box. We can't just do what everybody else does. That's too simplistic. Well, fine. You go over there and play these stupid games. I just want something to tastes good. And again, that's my issue with these halftime performances. It's not about making it a palatable experience. It's not about making it enjoyable. It's not like sitting down and watching a movie, although sometimes movies are like this, but it's, it's, you know, you sit down and it's not just about maximal experience. It's about going above and beyond. Yeah, but is it enjoyable? No, but it's big and it's wild and it's it's something nobody's ever done before. Well, there's probably a reason for that because it's stupid and nobody likes it. And then the reason this keeps happening is because you run to social media and all these people doing their performance art wanting to be a part of the upper crust and pretend that they're not just middle American plebes are like, oh, it was the most wonderful performance I've ever seen in my life. Bro well, stop doing that. We're never going to get good performances as long as all these people trying to pretend to be something bigger than they are same with, like, art, where we all gather around and go, oh, it's wonderful. You ever seen that? There, there's an art professor out there somewhere, and every year for his class, one of the things he does is he shows somebody a piece of art, and he says, describe this, and they'll describe it, and they'll say things like, oh, it's 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 uh, modern but tasteful, and I, just all these, like, big words to really express it. And then when they're all done, like, gushing over the beauty and the elegance and all this stuff, he shows another picture, and it it's essentially zooms out. It was, a, it was his smock that had paint splattered all over it. It wasn't art. It was just garbage splattered all over it. was a, a messy smock. And the point is, you're all idiots, and you're all making this up. And I hate that I live in this world where everybody just pretends all this stuff. It's like, can we just freaking stop and be serious for a second? Oh, it was a beautiful performance. You just don't understand. No, you don't understand. Nobody understands, because it was stupid. Yeah, the music was fine. And Santana needed to pop out somewhere. Just be like, dang, what's up, Santana? You crazy. How do you, I mean, seriously, how do you bust in with his guitar thing and then just, like, it just goes away and he's not there? That's the biggest tease ever. Anyway, sorry, I don't mean to steal your thunder. Go ahead. I'm in
1: and you're like, oh my God, I love these people, like, I haven't seen this guy perform in forever. And then he just comes on stage and he performs. And then yeah, you get this time. other person who comes up through a tunnel on a stage and you're like, Oh my God, this person too. That's crazy. Right. Okay. That's, that's how a Super Bowl halftime show is successful. I don't know how many times we have to have these, you know, these people just perform one, one person. And then everybody says, oh, I hated that. That was the worst show ever. I'm sure everybody's saying Rihanna was great because, you know, She's infallible, uh, I guess. But whatever. And then my other
3: uh... well, and that's the other thing too. You, depending on the artist, you'll get. It doesn't matter what they do, right? There, there are certain people that, and Rihanna's probably she's not like the the queen matriarch like some of these uh, artists or whatever. But there are certain people, and this is true in a lot of different arenas for a lot of different things. But it, it, she could have gone on stage, and like farted into a microphone and left and and it would have been if you say that that was a bad performance you're a hater and you don't understand anything I mean it's just it's, it's so stupid and just ignorant and ridiculous and again I didn't really have any problem with her I thought she did fine I thought the singing was fine I thought the songs were fine I didn't have any real issue with it but like you said I mean it's just I could go on YouTube and type in Rihanna and watch a, a video and it would probably be as entertaining you know which i i guess again from their perspective we got to make it bigger it can't just be like something you find on youtube but you you also made it worse it is bigger but it's also dumber and makes less sense so i don't know i don't know what you could do to make them entertaining aside from what you're saying where you have people pop out you know who else was big around that time so it looks like her biggest hits were big around like 2010 so like if drake came out it's another big 2010 guy i mean he's still kind of big now but you know, Drake, Taylor Swift, Bruno Mars, Adele, Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber, Katy Perry, I don't know, I'm just reading this on Google. Most of these are somewhat incompatible, and Katy Perry already did her own thing, so she doesn't want to be like a second act. Bruno Mars already did, are we just going through the biggest of 2010, has Drake ever been out there? And, and that's the thing, Drake's big enough where it's like, you know, it's got to be like an older person, like, you know, Santana cuz Drake's going to want to do his own thing if he hasn't already. I don't know. Adele probably similar but would be pretty dope if she came out, you know, great vocalist to be able to come out and sing one of these songs with her and they could do like one of those things where they combine the two songs, which is pretty cool. That would have been significantly, you know, rather than investing all our time in how do we make these marshmallows flail around? Let's find another artist that wants to come out and then we can find a way to like combine the songs and make it kind of cool and we don't have to do all the nonsense. I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying just thinking out loud on how we could make these slightly more enjoyable.
1: thought that I wanted to get um, your thoughts on yeah. is I heard a rumor that um, that the NFL does not own the rights to the name Super Bowl and that the family that does own the rights to the name Super Bowl um, does not want to renew uh, their contract with the NFL and to the point that they were offered a billion dollars, a billion with a B, um, to come to the table to have like discussions about continuing with the name Super Bowl and they turned it down. So I, we, we the word on the street is we're not going to have another Super Bowl. They're going to have to come up with a new name for it. Um, and, uh, I guess back in like 97 or something that we, uh, the same thing happened and we didn't get a Super Bowl. And it was called a mega bowl. I was too young to remember that, but maybe some of you remember that or maybe Ryan, you might vaguely remember that. But uh, yeah, just want to get to see if you think we're going to have Super Bowls in the future or are they going to rename it entirely? Okay, go, Paco.
3: I've never heard that. The only thing I did hear, it was on Jeopardy once, um, was that the Super Bowl was named essentially by a little girl, I think, or, or a small child of some sort. Um, and it was a... Again, this was on Jeopardy. Um, the kid had like a real... Thick Southern slang and was saying something about a and the, the question was what what toy helped name the Super Bowl? And it was a Super Bowl, you know, the super bouncy ones. And I think she just had a thick southern accent said Super Bowl. And so that's where Super Bowl came from. So there you go. Uh quick Google search here. It does say that the NFL owns the trademark to Super Bowl. Uh, The NFL has held the Super Bowl trademark since 1969, according to the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office records. So I'm going to assume that what you heard isn't true, but I don't exactly know that. But I'm thinking that that's not true. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break here. We'll come back and hear what else Nate has to say about things. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks.
1: Hey, it's me again. Um, I wanted to call in because, uh, honestly, I, I'm just getting a little tired of like offseason football talk because I think we've reiterated pretty much every hot topic that there is right now. Like, right. You know, We've talked all the draft prospects that are going to probably go in first or second round.
3: I definitely have not done that. I have failed you miserably in that regard. So I'm sure a lot of people have. You're right. And it's probably exhausting because you've heard all of them talk about it. I have not. And I apologize to inform you, uh, regret to inform you that I will be doing that. But sorry, continue.
1: Um, uh, We've all talked Rogers till we're blue in the face. Yes. And he's he's not even making a decision for a good while yet. Correct. um, I had a different question for you. Okay. What do you think is the most overrated movie franchise? Oh, boy. Uh, So one that has like at least a, a couple movies to it. My opinion... And this is probably going to get some hate. I think the Indiana Jones movies suck. I I rewatched them recently, and I don't think that they hold up. I think Harrison Ford is a terrible f-ing actor. Um, it was just a lot of the a lot of the stuff in it does not age well. Um, it's just like the the effects for a movie that that had that had that big of a name are really bad. Yeah. And I know you say, oh, well, it's the time that it came out. But was it? Because uh, I think the movie Alien was actually out before that movie, and the effects in the movie Alien are fantastic. Yeah. Go rewatch Alien because that movie holds up to this day. There's a lot of older movies that, get, that have great effects with not a lot to work with technology-wise, and Indiana Jones just fails on pretty much every level. Uh, so that's my opinion. Um, I'm not a fan of the Indiana Jones movies, obviously, but I want to know what you think the most overhyped movie franchise is. So, so I'll,
3: I'll say this. I watched one Indiana Jones movie in my life and I didn't like it. And that was like when it, that was in the nineties at some point. So as a child who is into action stuff, not really getting into Indiana Jones at that time, I would assume it would be, God awful if I were to watch it now i I may try. I'll see if I can find it on Netflix, Hulu, whatever these different things that I have. I'm sure something has an Indiana Jones movie somewhere, but i I have a very strong inclination that I will absolutely hate it. There's a reason why one of the most storied franchises um is one of the only ones I have not watched. as far as I'm concerned, I haven't watched any of them because I don't really remember anything. I think I remember seeing like that Rolling Stone scene something like that. And then there was like a fight with a whip. I, I very vaguely remember. Uh, I don't even know if I honestly finished the, the movie, but um, I know I didn't like it. But there's a reason why I haven't decided like, oh man, I got to go back and watch it. Because I have no interest. It doesn't seem interesting whatsoever. It seems, as you said, cheesy and lame. And the action is, just, I mean, Harrison Ford is, I don't know if he used stunt doubles for all of it, but it just, it, the thought of him trying to fight guys and stuff is just, it's it's so bad. And I don't really have a problem with Harrison Ford. I thought, like, what was that one Convict movie? I thought he did fine. Maybe not. I don't know. But to answer your question, and I'll I'll look at the list here because I've kind of touched on this several times. The one that immediately comes to mind is Star Wars. Um, I I honestly, if you just showed me, like, the first Star Wars movie and said this is a movie from the 70s, I'd probably be like, all right, that's fine. But, again, part of the issue I have is is, number one, like you said, a lot of people can be like, well, you don't understand, it's the time or whatever. Okay, well, maybe movies just weren't quite as, like, I don't know, I don't want to say good, but good in that time. But then you think, like, The Godfather and some other movies around that time. It's like, mm, that's really not true. But it's fine. It's a fine movie. You know, the acting's not super great. It's it's this, that, or the other, but whatever. Again, compared to The Godfather, it's a freaking joke. But then you watch the next one, and I, I got a lot of flack for it, but it's like, it's like the same movie, but in a cold planet. And then, like, I think the next one had, like, the short guy. <laughs> Fozzie Bear sounding guy. Yoda. And that seemed kind of cool. Like, I was, I was actually kind of excited because I didn't remember how he was a part of it. And they're out in the swamp or whatever. I'm like, oh, dope, man. Here's... But then that wasn't super interesting. Like, I wanted something cooler to happen. And then the problem is, as we get better at especially special effects, and we've had time to theoretically develop how we write movies and th- these kinds of things, the movies seem to get worse which is a drag. Oh, but you know what? I might have a different answer. It just hit me. Let's see. So Rocky is decent, possibly overrated. Yes, but it's, it's a solid, especially again, the first one solid. I like Despicable Me. Transformers, I don't think I can get into, but I also don't think I've really watched them and I know it's not going to be the worst. Lord of the Rings is fine. Jurassic Park, I would put on the list because I think aside from like the first two, they're all garbage. But I did it. I, the first one was just classic, so you can't do that. X-Men is decent. DC Universe, I don't think I've even seen those. Fast and Furious would be the other one that I would consider. Now, I will say, I think when the first one came out, I was like, all right, it's a pretty dope movie. It's fine. Wouldn't really want to watch it again, but it's okay. But they have gotten so unbelievable. I mean, I, I in other words, when a new movie comes out, which one makes me the most nauseous? It wouldn't be a Star Wars movie. Another Star Wars comes out, it's like, well, that makes sense. You gotta just keep doing this thing. And 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 it's like the the potential for it to be really good is there. Like I I, I believe that if a new Star Wars came out, you could make it in a way where I'd watch it and be like, dang, dude, that was actually really good. I don't think they're gonna do it. I think they're going down a path that is not the path that I would go down and I'm I just don't find it interesting. But Fast and Furious has built it on a model of we have to go bigger every single time. And I swear the next time I, I think they showed a Fast and Furious commercial for the Super Bowl, and it was doing the most stupid. Like they're driving up buildings or something ridiculous. I don't know what they were doing, but I like I, I've mentioned this several times. I went to the movie theater and I saw the one where they robbed a a bank vault with a like freaking Toyota, ripped it through a, a brick, a steel vault that's probably like seven hundred tons out of a cement basement, and then defied physics by flying down the street, and then taking a hard 90-degree turn and somehow pulling that vault, right? It did like a a big swing, but then just kind of corrected as though it was like a 50-pound dumbbell. I'm sorry, but that vault would not have moved an inch. It would have gone straight through that building, and your car would have tumbled about 700 times and exploded. But Fast and Furious is stupid. And it's all about, like, let's get the biggest guys and the biggest explosions and the fastest car. And, like, we're trying to... That's the other thing. We're trying to make, like, a cool action movie out of race cars, which is kind of stupid, right? I mean, again, the first Fast and Furious, it actually had, like, a plot and a storyline. And it was, like, racing was a big part of that and, like, making money and all this stuff or whatever. I don't exactly remember. It was a long time ago. But now it's, like, how do we take it and, like, make it, like, cool, like, Transformers where it's, like, these big fighting explosions and guns but it's still like a race car movie and it's just gotten ridiculous and i'm convinced that the next fast and furious that comes out they're gonna like hit a ramp and then battle on mars or something because the cars just you know that's just how fast and crazy and awesome they are and how good the drivers are that they get up to mars and then they battle it out and then they have a race on mars meet you on mars that'll be like the cool storyline, or the, the cool tagline or whatever, from Fast and Furious 19. And then they hit the gas. And then there's a jump, and it's like, oh, are they gonna make it? You know, like sometimes when they, like on speed, when it jumps, which, by the way, talk about absurd, the bus jumping that gap. The <laughs> Dumbest crap ever. It's a great movie, but oh my good lord. That bus would just go straight down, and they would all die. Very instantly. Especially with a bomb strapped to it and all that, you know. <laughs> so dumb. But then they'd hit the gas, and they'd hit the ramp, and it'd be like, oh, are they going to make it to Mars? Uh," And then, boom, they would just land on Mars. And, um, you know, one of them would just be hanging on because, you know, physics and gravity and all that stuff doesn't really make sense. They'd be hanging on to Mars, like, oh, don't let go. And then his other army would be holding on to the car, like, no car, I need you. And then he'd throw the car up on Mars, and it would make it. And then he's, like, climbing his way through the atmosphere, and then he gets on Mars, and then they get in the car, and they're like, all right, let's do this. And then they do, like, a... A race, and some guy wins and gets the grand prize and the girl. Because, you know, that's how you get the ladies. It's the dumbest thing in the world. Fast and Furious is stupid. It's like action movies written by six-year-olds. It's like when I was, you know, we used to always write those books. You have to do that, the hardcover books, and you'd write a story. And I would usually write, like, either action or some kind of, like, a scary. I always wanted to be scary, but it would just be the most ridiculous thing. The monster who had, like, lasers for eyes. Lay in like fire fingers. Could basically do anything and it was the, the most powerful thing in the universe. Like everything is the biggest and the strongest and the fastest and there's no nuance. There's also no plot or storyline. It's just like, check out how cool this thing is that I built in my brain. It's like, well, that's great and all, but it's not really a story. That's Fast and Furious. Anyways, Batman, Avengers. James Bond is kind of, kind of, kind of dumb, but I don't know. Harry Potter is not... It's not my thing, but I don't think it's bad. I just don't like it. Spider-Man's fine. Most of these are kind of stupid. Star Wars is stupid. Marvel Cinematic Universe is pretty good. Overhyped, yes, but it's somewhat enjoyable. So that's where I stand on that.
0: Hey Ryan, I called a while back and uh, talk about the Bears potentially making a dome stadium. Yeah. Um, and watching the Super Bowl, I finally realized why everybody's making a dome. This is why. <laughs> teams want to host the Super Bowl that's it and like the Packers the Bears these open northern stadiums are never going to get a Super Bowl which is dumb it
3: is dumb a Super Bowl in the cold would be dope you know snowy sloppy but it's got to be nice it's got to be pristine it's got to be you know all the all that stuff
0: my opinion I mean you know it's, it's part of the game I I really have always hated the way that league just like picks a city um There should be something like, I think, what is it, baseball or something, that, like, the winning team, that city gets to the World Series the following year or something? I don't know. No idea. The Packers shouldn't just be out of the running altogether to ever host Super Bowl because they're an open stadium. Um,
3: I think the biggest thing with that, the reason they'll never or can't in the very foreseeable future is is the hotel situation. And I think um, Mark Murphy's talked about that, that based on the current capacity, like, they don't have the amount of hotels and all that kind of stuff to be able to host – an event that large so they're gonna to have to continue buying up houses and bulldozing them and turning them into hotels for the next 50 years before i think that becomes a reality and then they're gonna to have to slap a dome on it so um i feel like that's that's kind of where it's at right now
0: i just hate that and it it just makes me think that eventually the packers probably would end up going to the dome also i know there's also like a sort of infrastructure that's got to be in the hotels and everything right which is why i think they've been building it up around the stadium and all too Yeah. but uh yeah i don't know so now it makes more sense to me why the bears would want to do a dome um of course they have the retractable domes and now
3: well and it's not just that right i mean the the nfl is just handpicking these things and where do they want to go they want to go to the nicest stadiums you know they want to go not only to the nicest cities which chicago is uh i don't want to say nice but it's a big city with a lot of stuff now they're moving out of the city, but I guess it's kind of close. I don't know, but the point is, they're going to build this massive, just beautiful-looking stadium with all the trappings and, um, yeah, it's going to be a dome and all all that stuff. The the only question I guess I would have is, are they going to have hotels and stuff? Is Chicago in close enough proximity? Uh, can it handle all that traffic? Are they? I mean, it might not actually work very well, at least in for the time being. Um, which would be a negative, right? It would probably if you want to host a Super Bowl, you might want to just slap a dome on Soldier Field. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting to to kind of figure that out. But, yeah, I think, I think having not only just a dome but a, a new state-of-the-art stadium will put you at the top of the list generally. But, again, I'm not really sure um, as far as the hotel situation for them.
0: Well, but usually they're like
3: – I mean, the Chicago suburbs are – there's plenty of places – uh, it's pretty built up just pretty much anywhere but it's not like in the city where you've got tons and tons of hotel options within 5, 10, 15 minutes it's you know there'll probably be 4 or 5 there's an embassy suites out there somewhere and stuff but I don't know I'll have to look at that
0: That tiny part of the roof that opens for the most part so but anyway a Super Bowl disappointing I get there's probably a hold at the end but when you don't call holding or pass interference the entire game not yeah. a single time to call it in that spot on a sticky tack call, in my opinion. Uh, and to throw, the flag came out after the play. Holding is before the quarterback throws the ball. So it's after the play. I think Mahomes, you know, yelling kind of influenced the decision like Brady has many times in the past. I don't know, not, not just that. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks do. But, you know, it's just, if it's holding, it should be coming out before the play's over. Um but anyway. It was a good Super Bowl, good game. Uh, let's go back up.
3: Yeah, I get it. I don't want to get back into it because I talked about it yesterday. But um, yeah, I, th- I just think officiating is is a problem just across the board, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how you make it more consistent. But that would be one of the things I would want. You know, they always talk about emphasis in terms of how they want to emphasize punishing players for doing certain things. I think we need to start having emphasis for referees. And one of the first things I would emphasize is stop calling ticky tack nonsense. And that's what we're going to practice. And, um, you know, I I know these guys get graded on every single play and everything else. You're going to start getting docked for calling ticky-tack stuff. And that probably means that some guys are going to get away with some of the bigger ones. There's no perfect system. And uh, when you incentivize or de-incentivize doing things, then you're going to get much more of that, uh, even to the extreme. So if you start punishing referees or downgrading them, for throwing flags, they're going to just generally throw less flags. But I think most people would be okay with that, to be honest.
2: Hey Ryan, it's Seth. Hey. I'm uh, talk, calling to talk about the most important topic, and that is food. A oh, man. Um, I, I was listening to the Packard and Dr. Doctor talking about uh, sous vide, which I love. Yep. Like. Ceviche? Is that, is that what we're talking about here? I Definitely probably sound not. like an idiot, but nope. I've never done that oh, amount. So do you not have like ceviche. a machine inside that does that or yep. how are you doing that at home? Love to hear that. Also, uh... Alright,
3: I'm so glad you asked. Um, so sous vide is, I think it's like French for under vacuum is what it means. So you you can do a lot of different things, but generally it's popular, very popular for meat. And what you do is you vacuum seal meat, and then you put it in a container of water. And then, yeah, what I have, there are whole machines that do this, but I just have an immersion circulator, it's called. It's just this um, not very big, well, you know, foot tall, foot and a half, two foot, I don't know, um, thing. And it attaches to the sides of things. So you can put it in a pot or whatever. you Back in the day, I used to have a giant cooler that I would use doesn't really work very well. Now I have an actual like tub that's built for sous vide and uh, high temperatures and all that stuff. And I can fit like a whole brisket in it. But the point is it circulates water at a very precise temperature. And so what it does is it can bring your meat to that exact temperature. So instead of putting something in the oven at 350 degrees or in a, even on a grill at 220 degrees and trying to catch the meat at the right time, it'll bring it up to the exact temperature that you want it to be, and it'll hold it there. And so you can't really overcook it. You kind of can, because over time, the muscle structure starts to break down, which in some cases is a good thing or whatever. Sometimes it kind of makes a weird texture, but that's like several, several hours too late. Uh, or, I mean, days. <laughs> um, but so that that's that's generally what it is. And it's it's just a way to get meat cooked to an absolutely perfect temperature. And so what you can do... Some of the cool things, for example, if you do a cheeseburger, which I love to do, you can do like a, this is just how my brain works, I don't know anybody that's actually done this, but you can do like a two-pound burger, just the biggest, dumbest thing in the world. You try to cook that perfectly, it's going to be difficult, because by the time you get the very center of that thing cooked, you're going to have a lot of overcooked gray. You know, it's going to be that slow from black to gray to, uh, you know, dark red to red to to finally get into like that perfect medium, medium rare pink or whatever you want it to be. But if you do it in a sous vide, there's going to be a very thin gray layer just on the outside where the vacuum seal actually touches because it's, a, I believe, is a different kind of heat. It's, it's when it actually touches a hot surface. So that actually browns, but it is it is millimeters thick. And then beyond that, the entire thing is a perfect medium, medium rare, whatever temperature you want your burger to be all the way through. The problem with sous vide generally is number one, you're not putting like smoke on it and flavor on it and all that stuff. It's just sitting in a bag, which is not. And then when you take it out, it is the most unappealing looking gross thing in the world. But what, what you do then is you just flash sear it. I like to put it on my grill so that it kind of takes on a little bit more smoke flavor. And you get some of the the outside looking whatever, but it's the the best thing in the world because you get it seared off, you get a little bit of smoke flavor on it, and then you bite into that burger and it's the most ridiculous looking thing in the world because it's a perfect medium from top to bottom. And it, you know, it it doesn't have to be a two pound burger. I'm just using that as an illustration. But, and again, it works great with chicken because the problem with chicken is if you try to get it all the way cooked, number one, you got to cook it to 165 because it's got to be killed because you want to pull it off the grill. If you do it in sous vide, you can hold it at a temperature like 145 so it can be a lower temperature it can taste better and you just let it sit in there because you know it's it's not just temperature, it's time and temperature. So 165 things are dead instantly. You can do it at 150, but you have to hold it at that temperature for a period of time, whatever. But the other problem is chicken, like chicken breast, you know you got the thick part and the thin part. So you can smash it out to try to make it an even thickness or If you sous vide it, it's at a perfect temperature, which can be lower than the 165, which is going to make it better. And the thin part and the thick part are both cooked absolutely perfectly. And then you can even let it cool off a little bit, right? Let it kind of bring the temperature down and then hit it on the grill so it doesn't continue cooking. It just kind of hits that outside and you can kind of put it on there, get a little bit of heat, get a little bit of color. You get that Maillard reaction, which is where all the flavor is when you actually uh, burn or brown the meat. You get more flavors, the sugar compounds, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, again, you take some chicken, you kind of sear it off, then you move it to the indirect side. You put a little bit of uh, uh, the barbecue sauce on there, let that kind of harden and and congeal or whatever it's doing, and it's taking on all that smoke. You get some cold barbecue sauce. Cold holds the smoke a little bit better. And oh my goodness, it is the most juicy, tender, soft chicken in the world, perfectly cooked from end to end with some, oh, mmm. Mm -mm -mm. And by the way, you don't have to vacuum, I mean, you do have to vacuum seal it, but most of the time I don't do that. I actually lost my vacuum sealer and I didn't even get one until recently. If you put it in a Ziploc bag and just kind of drop it in, what happens to the air? It goes flying out and it kind of vacuum seals itself. It's not going to do as good of a job, but it still works. So you just drop meat or whatever you want to cook. By the way, eggs are another thing it does phenomenally. Like you can get perfectly temperatured eggs or whatever is another one people like to use it for. But yeah, it just, it it perfectly cooks meat. And it's probably most popular for steak because it'll get it to that exact perfect temperature. And then you can just go sear it off, whether it be in a cast iron pan, or you can put it out on the grill or some people, which I find disgusting. But if you look at one of the biggest food channels out there, uh, Guga Foods, he's got a, a channel that I think is dedicated to sous vide and he just uses a, a, a torch. And he uses that to get a really nice... And and the sear does look kind of nice, but it's just kind of... Like, I don't want gas flames providing the... I mean, again, you get the Maillard reaction, but it's just... I can't imagine it's going to give it the best taste. But it's the easiest. Like, if you want to be super easy about it, you put it in the sous vide, you take it out, you get a torch, which is awesome. Just get basically a small flamethrower to put a sear on it. But... Anyways, that is, and there's plenty, go on YouTube and you'll see that Guga guy. He's, he's a cool guy. I'm shocked at how big his channel is, but uh, he's a, he's a cool dude. And they do a ton of stuff sous vide. I know there was a, a podcast, something like water and smoke or something that's dedicated to like, well, I, actually with the term that you could look up, there's a guy, I forget his name, but he's extremely intelligent. If you want to get into the science of all this stuff, but it's sous vide Q, which is sous vide barbecue, you know, sous vide ribs. Just, I mean, if you're patient enough to let it sous vide because it's like a 24-hour soak time, but dude, sous vide ribs are just stupid good. And again, I think a lot of the hardcore barbecue people say it's cheating and it's not as good and all that stuff, and that's fine. But you get up north, you're feeling lazy, you don't want to do all that stuff. You can, I, I did a pork butt in the sous vide and then put it on my grill after, and it was delicious. Especially because of pork butt. If you let that thing cool off, you can put it back on the grill, and by the time it gets back up to eating temperature, like whatever it is, 145 or something like that. Dude, that's been sitting in smoke for a long time. A long time. Now, technically, you're supposed to smoke it first, then sous vide it, but then it doesn't look as good. But Whatever. It doesn't matter. There's there's sort of an intro into sous vide. S-O-U-S-V-I-D-E. Sous vide. Look it up. It'll change your life.
2: What is your favorite food period and then what is your favorite food on the grill
3: might be the same answer i i might li- i mean listen ribs are way up there and that would be both right food and food on the grill burgers i know it's just an ordinary regular boring thing but dude a a and and, and i'm really torn between smash burgers and smoked burgers because smash burgers are just freaking unbelievable. But i tell you what, you take a quarter pound or a half pound burger, and I didn't realize like apparently smoking burgers or smoked burgers is like a new phenomenon that people are doing now. It was just the way I always did it. I just thought, because most people, you just grill it, which is putting it over directly over the flame and bringing it up. I put it indirect, just basically the entire time at the end, maybe you just kind of flash it or whatever, but just throw that bad boy indirect until it comes up, you know, 220 degrees, bring the burger up to whatever temperature you want it to be, melt a little bit of cheese on it. It is, dude grilled burger, and it, it just has such a, a fun like summer outdoor, you know, the charcoal taste and the and the smell. It's just, it's such an unbelievable thing. And then I, then you, you get the buns and you get a little bit of garlic butter, and which isn't anything fancy you have to buy. It's just garlic powder and some melted butter and get a little brush and brush it on, or if you want to just dunk it or whatever, and then you throw it over the flame, let that, th- oh, oh, mmm. So burgers and ribs are in a pretty tight competition. I mean, I I love steak and all, but there's just something, by the way, pork loin. I mean, it's got to be just the perp, but I'm telling you, I've had a couple pork loins that just unbelievable. The other thing I only made once that I, it's expensive, so I don't know if I'll be making it too much more often, but when I made it and just kind of winged it and tried it, it was just stupid good, which makes sense because it's basically a really long filet mignon, but uh, beef tenderloin, dude, earth shattering. But I'll I'll stick I'll stick with burgers and ribs.
2: And you talked about pork chops a lot, so if your yep. answer is a pork chop, I want you to give me your second favorite food on the grill. There you go. I think mine is actually probably a New York strip. Yes. Uh, ribeyes are good. you uh, used to love filet mignon. They're still good, but you don't get the marbling and the the fats and juices and all that. So. Probably would have to go with a New York strip, one of the thick cut, like yeah. two-inch thick yep. New York strips. Also, I don't know if you can get them in Wisconsin, but uh, I am in Iowa. So if you haven't had an Iowa chop, give those a shot. Okay. It's like a pork chop, except it's like twice as big. So uh, can't go wrong there. So, yeah, give that a whirl. All right talk to you
3: later we do have a butcher down the street i could just ask him for an iowa chop i'm sure he understands what that means and if he doesn't then i'll just be like i don't know dude could you google it and get me one because supposedly they're delicious and y- you are a butcher but you're, you're i'm glad you said that too because uh, my half mexican lawyer blaine and i we both have kind of come to the conclusion that we're both new york strip guys everybody in the steak community you know when you're talking the competition steaks and all that it's all ribeye you know you got the the supposedly it's got like the tenderness of a fillet, but the beefiness of a of a strip. I don't think it does. I don't think it has nearly the flavor of a New York strip. And I'll tell you what, a New York strip is plenty tender for me. I don't know what kind of soft... <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm all for tenderness. I mean, don't get me wrong. Tenderness is great. And I love fillet. Honestly, I and I haven't had a fillet in a while, so this might change. But if I had to rank them, it would probably be New York strip, then filet mignon, then a... Um, than a ribeye. And I I think I just come at it from the opposite perspective, right? People look at it and say it's got the best of both worlds. I see it as kind of the worst of both worlds. It doesn't have the tenderness of a filet mignon, and it doesn't have the flavor of a New York strip. It's it's less than both. Now, again, I'm positive that if I went to one of these guys that does like steak cook-off competitions, they could make a ribeye that would just change my world. Or Guga, who's made a billion of them, or whatever. Or a lot of these guys, I'm I'm sure. I just am not doing it up to standard. But the best steaks that I've had have been when I was younger, filet mignon, and then as an adult, making New York strips. I mean, just every single time. Because now, now when I ask my wife to get steaks, she gets a strip and a and a ribeye, and we split it up with the kids or whatever. the 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 ribeye, the the not this last time, but the time before the ribeye was close. Is real close to being up there with the strip, but the absolute best steak I've ever made was the first time, and I never bought steaks. I got a New York strip, and then I got the compound butter. They had it right there at the at the deli counter, the butcher counter, whatever at the grocery store. I'm like, why don't you give me some of that? And I melted some of that over the. T- it was just my tiny little Weber grill. Again, never really done it before. I did it all indirect, and then you know, toward the end when it was getting close to being ready to to pull, I threw that that butter over the top, let it melt across it. And it was—I've never had a steak that good since. Never had a steak that good before. Might never have a steak that good again. Best food I ever made was on that tiny Weber, and I didn't have any idea how to control temperature. Maybe that's my problem. Maybe I'm—I'm I'm more of a, a grill. You know, just crank that freaking thing up to 500 degrees and pull it when it gets to temperature. I don't know. I don't know. But that was—I—I I am with you on that. I'm—I'm I'm more of a New York Strip guy than a. Anybody in the Wisconsin area that wants to prove me wrong and, and invite me over for some uh, delicious ribeyes, I, w- I will uh, happily oblige. Anyways, I'd love to keep going, but we're kind of getting uh, getting a little long here, so I appreciate all the calls. Please continue calling in 608-501-0718. Again, whatever you want to talk about, that's what we're going to talk about. But You guys have a great night, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>